I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Anxiety, filling up every space, no privacy And silently, it could build and build until you finally see Whoa, it's taking over, damn no closure, moving closer no exposure, I just wanna be a loner uh, Some can't stay sober, looking over all their shoulders Like moving boulders just to get out of the home It sucks, I've had enough, I don't wanna feel the stuck Under the rug, all my problems that I shove I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper I've been feeling weird, I can't seem to focus good enough Nothing's really clear, sometimes it could be a little tough I just need to feel like the end's in sight for me But let's be really real, anxiety can foggy all this stuff I've been feeling weird, I can't seem to focus good enough Nothing's really clear, sometimes it could be a little tough I just need to feel like the end's in sight for me But let's be really real, anxiety can foggy Yo. all this stuff it sucks, when you finally feel like giving up Oh God, no luck, everything feels like you're sticky stuck I'm lost, handcuffed, to the bed where I sleep Don't give a fuck, can't stop, unplug Feeling overwhelmed, I think I've had enough uh, Gotta find a way to get some energy Gotta find someone who's a good friend of me I need purpose to make it all worth it I'm still searching and I'm still learning I want a life that's filled with memories Not a life with a grand in front of me I need focus to keep me from hopeless Psychosis if I keep moping I got nightmares in my head, I feel that the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper I've been feeling weird, I can't seem to focus good enough Nothing's really clear, sometimes it could be a little tough I just need to feel like the end's in sight for me But let's be really real, anxiety can foggy all this stuff I've been feeling weird, I can't seem to focus good enough Nothing's really clear, sometimes it could be a little tough I just need to feel like the end's in sight for me But let's be really real, anxiety can foggy all this stuff Okay, ladies and gentlemen, where am I? Oh, there I am. Okay, welcome to another podcast, Joe Oriani's podcast. My name is Joe Oriani, usually a very friendly, laughable, joking guest, but today is something different. It's a very serious subject, and I am waiting for Katie Smith to come on so we can stop, start part two. Now, today we're going to talk about domestic violence, both in children and in women. The problem with all that is most people don't realize that they're even in that situation. So I'm going to give you a little warning. Before I do that, I'm going to give you a statistic. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in four women and one in nine men have experienced some sort of violence in their life. 
88% reported emotional and verbal abuse. 60% reported physical abuse. 24% reported financial abuse. 15% reported digital abuse. And 11% reported sexual abuse. Remember, abuse can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, psychological, and some combination thereof. I know that for a fact because I did get a restraining order on my ex-wife. So I know how it feels. Anyway, at the end of this program, usually I play music, either cheer myself up or cheer you up. And I tell you to make sure if you're not laughing, you're not living. But today we're going to be very serious. And at the end, I am going to speak very slowly with phone numbers and a little bit of information about places where people can go get help uh, quietly on a sly. But there's some warning signs of domestic violence that you must know about. And, you know, you might be tempted to shrug all these off just as normal thrones a relationship. But worse, you may think you're to blame. You're not. There's nothing normal about domestic violence. Red flags include fear of your partner, missing work or school, change, personality changes, low self-esteem, trouble sleeping, and anxiety about pleasing your partner. Warning signs in your partner include someone who monitors social media, blaming you and others for problems in their lives, angry outbursts, punching walls, destroying your property, tracking your spending or withholding money, controlling who you talk to, what you wear, where you go, criticizing, belittling, and embarrassing you in front of others. Take away your keys, prevent you from leaving, restraining, slapping, or physically hurting you, and threatening self-harm or suicide if you try to leave. And if you have children, children and loved ones are in immediate danger, leave right now, and you are in a safe place called 911. Okay, now I'll be waiting for Katie to come on, and like I said, at the end, oh, here's some more stuff I can read to you. Look at this. And this is shocking, too, to me. About 20 people every minute experience physical abuse at the hands of their partner in the United States. One in four women and one in seven men experience severe physical violence, beating, burning, strangling by their partner. In 2015, 54% of the violent victimizations reported to law enforcement were committed by a partner. An average of three women per day are murdered by the husbands. Women ages 18 to 24 are most commonly abused. Jeez. Of all murder-suicides, 72% involve a partner. And in the United States, one in five children are exposed to uh, partner violations each year. 90% are witnesses to the violence. One half of a million contacts reported during 2018 by the hotline involved children. Women who experience domestic violence are more likely to develop serious health problems. Those can include high blood pressure, depression, panic attacks, gastrointestinal problems, substance abuse, sexual risk-taking, migraines, chronic pain, and arthritis. So now we will patiently wait for Katie. I'll put this on pause and just wait. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, welcome back. I had to put it on pause for a little bit. I gave you all that information about domestic violence. And again, at the end, I will read you some resources that you can use if you're in that position. But the one thing I want to say before anything else, uh, remember one thing, love should not hurt. So if you're thinking of you're being abused, please take care of it. As I told you before, I had a restraining order on my ex-wife because I was being abused. I know what it's like. And I remember that day in court and all the guys laughing at me when I was the uh, plaintiff, the defendant plaintiff. And I laughed at them. I said, well, I'm not hitting my wife. You are. I'd rather keep her away from me. So that's there's things you can do to help yourself. So I have Katie back on. I've been looking forward to this. And people have been asking about part two. And I'm hoping all your friends have subscribed to YouTube so they can watch it and continue to watch the programs as we go along, each one very different. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the one talking to a crazy person, but that was one of my better ones. Anyway. I did, yeah. You interviewed yourself, yeah. Yeah, wasn't that good? Anyway, take your drink because it was going to be long. How's your voice? It's okay. It's been getting really cold here. We had snow yesterday, so... I'm a little stuffy, but. Okay. How's your mom? I remember last time she was outside Pizza Rizzo's. She's good. She's good. She's also sick too. So it's just that time of year around here, but. Okay. Now let's get into this. You had told me, let's start at the beginning. You had told me you had been an investigator for uh, abusive children. Yeah. Get into that. And how, how was it? Oh, you know, the answer could go many different ways. I mean, something I've always just kind of felt passionate about and called to is helping people who've experienced trauma. And so, and I love children. I mean, you know, you kind of have to love children to work at Disney World, but, um, you know, so it felt like a natural next step. I mean, it was definitely very hard. You know, I saw a lot of bad things but you know knowing that I could make a difference or or what exactly was your job so um I was I know you know each state has a child you know a child abuse hotline so in Missouri which is where I'm at you know when someone calls a child abuse hotline they say you know hey my ex hit my kid or you know my neighbor hit my kid or you know whatever um it would come to us and we you know go out and see you know actually you know did the thing actually happen because sometimes you know kids will go to school and say you know my mom spanked me or something um and then see you know kind of investigate the severity and you know and sadly in some situations usually a lot of times it was ones where people were using drugs or something, we would have to remove the children. And that was never our goal. Um, but, you know, trying to like work and connect the family resources, because, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just if mom's yelling at you a lot, maybe there's a communication breakdown. And so trying to get them into some family therapy or, you know, mom into th ther therapy or the kid in the therapy, um, you know, if the kid's missing school a lot, is it a transportation issue? No, you know, how can we help with that? And so I was the person whenever someone made a hotline, you know, I was going out and seeing what was going on. You didn't go out by yourself, I assume. No, I did go out by myself. You did? 
Yeah, we we did not have that many people working and you know, I'm in St. Louis County. Well, I was working in St. Louis County and the St. Louis City, the metropolitan and the county itself are about two million people. Um, and we had about seven investigators so that we did not have the resources to send people out together. Okay, but if you go out to a house, say somebody, a neighbor called up about a child being abused, you go out there and a mother swears to God, I didn't do anything. You really can't see it. And she gets very uh, offensive or her father gets very offensive with her partner and it can get a little violent, can't they? Yeah, and I mean, we could, you know, if there were situations where there were concerns about safety, we could take the police. And so, you know, a lot of times... If there was something where I was like, mm, this may not be the best situation um, to go into by myself, I would call law enforcement and have them come with me. But there were also times where I called law enforcement and they didn't show up. So, you know. What you do in that case? In those cases, I usually would leave. Like, I wouldn't go in and I would try to go back later with law enforcement just wow. when they were free. So basically, it was a dangerous job for you, too. Yes, yes. And how can you determine if the child was really abused? I mean, let's get real. When I was a child, and I, if you heard in the video, my father used to put my hand over a flame and beat the living daylights. I mean, that wasn't called abuse back then. It was called uh, discipline. So how, yeah. how, how do you know that it's real? The parents are going to deny it. Yeah, and I mean, that's what's difficult is, you know, so I was a government worker, you had to follow the rules set by the government. And I know in Missouri, um, you know, if say a kid went to school and told their counselor that, you know, mom is abusing me, but I go out there and there's no bruises on the kid, I couldn't do anything. Um, because, you know, sometimes also kids would say, well, like the last time it happened was two years ago. Okay, well, if it was two years ago, you know, why are why is this happening now? But so like Missouri's rule for physical abuse, especially, is that there needs to be marks and bruises, which is very hard because I mean there were times where, you know, I would go out somewhere and maybe a kid doesn't have a current mark or bruise, but like you could tell something was going on, and so that's where you work on you know connecting them to resources and you know maybe some parenting classes or something like that. They could not have been receptive to that at all. Especially yeah, and that's, they are causing abuse. And that's the other issue is that everything we had to offer was voluntary. So, you know, they could say to me, oh, yeah, I'll take those classes. And then they drop out, you know, two classes in and there's not much I can do. Um, you know, it was definitely difficult, especially more um in sexual abuse cases is like there were times where you knew and that was more difficult because I mean the process of disclosure especially with children is very it's not linear a lot of people kind of you would come to me and be like okay well this is getting so serious I know we were getting serious but you know um but like you know someone would come to me and say you know oh my kid said that you know they're babysitter touched them inappropriately but now they're saying it didn't happen so does that mean it didn't happen and I'm like well you know honestly probably it did but like you know kids kids especially will test the waters and they'll say something and if they don't get the reaction 
you know, what they want, which sounds bad, but, you know, like sometimes if, you know, parents freak out, then they feel like they're in trouble. And so then they'll take it back and then say it didn't happen when it really did happen. And so that's a very hard thing to do is like work on sexual abuse cases because we know the process of disclosure. A lot of times there are taking back, you know, say recantations of those disclosures, even if something did happen because they're worried about, you know, them getting in trouble or whoever, you know, did the thing getting in trouble or like changes in the relationship and not even for sexual abuse, even for physical abuse or emotional abuse, you know. How, how can you prove other than a child statement or somebody getting actually caught doing something, you know, whether it's touching or sexual or whatever it may be, how can you prove that it was done to have a case to take the child out of that environment um i mean i will say the majority of cases i had when i was a child abuse investigator where we actually had to remove the children were for um for two things usually so one was usually for drug abuse and that was usually because the child was testing pot you know had accidentally swallowed something or you know and they would usually have some sort of medical test proving, hey, fentanyl came up in their system or, you know, sometimes it was a baby born, you know, positive to a bunch of stuff. And so that one, you know, like really the proof is in the blood test and the medical test. Mm -hmm. um, the other things that usually I had to remove for were like medical neglect. So you had the proof of, you know, they weren't going to the, the appointments. They weren't going to, you know this kid's blood pressure was really high because he's not getting the medicine he needs. I mean, like I said, at least in Missouri, I know, you know, people hear children's division and they think, oh, their job is just to take kids away. And in Missouri, you know, our goal was never that. Our goal was really to try to, unless there was, you know, immediate harm, which, you know, if your two-year-old swallowing fentanyl, there's immediate harm um, to keep the families together. I mean, in regards to other things like proving it, that really wasn't up to us uh, there's so many systems in play but to you know for further to be actual consequences it would have to go through like a legal system and you know and that's like if law enforcement chose to press charges and law enforcement has different standards than we have and so um but like i said you know for it, it was hard because you know at least in Missouri, how it is, is kind of, you know, you do have to see proof. I mean, we're the show, we're the show me state. Maybe that's why. Um, what about, what about uh, mental abuse? That is the hardest one to prove. Kids are cower in a corner, be afraid, won't say nothing. Stay away from kids in school. There's a lot of, a lot of things you can see. Um, I know here in Missouri, to actually prove it, you have to have like a licensed mental health professional saying that there's a change in behavior, which was really hard to do sometimes. I mean, yeah, those are definitely the hardest ones to prove because like you said, you know, the kids can say, oh, mom's yelling at me and calling me all these things and da, da, da. And mom turns around and says, I never said that. Hmm. Um, those were the ones I always did not like getting because I knew that we were probably unlikely to prove that because it's hard to find a licensed mental health professional who wants to say, you know, put their, put their credibility on the line. 
See, my parents going back would never have denied that because that's just the way it was. <laughs> I was brought up in a different age. Now, and I have I'm, a question. Have you ever had to uh, walk in un unknowingly, seen something where you immediately had a call for that child to be removed? Um, oh, you cut out a little. You said, have I ever seen something where I had to like, immediately call for a child to be removed? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and that, I mean, that's the other thing is Missouri is very different in how they handle it because like, I know other states like Illinois children's division workers can actually remove the kids. Um, in Missouri, we don't have that power. So we would have to call law enforcement. And I, I have one of my first cases where I had to do that was I automatically walked in and said, this situation is not safe um, for a variety of factors. And you know, it turned out it was in the children's best interest to be removed, but did you it was call another one. cops to get them out? Or? Yeah, I had been warned before, like going out there that I would probably need law enforcement with me. Um, and so I had them with me at first. And then when it came time to decide to remove the children, more of them showed up, which I mean, is not is pretty traumatizing, but you know, it was not a safe situation for the children to stay in. And so. And was it a safe situation for you? Um, yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> yes, and yeah, no, I'm trying not to like give out the personal information, but like. This is generic. Yeah, I mean. It was a good idea to have law enforcement with me. The, I take it the parents were not happy. No, no. And I'm sure threats were made, curses were said. Yes. Okay. And when you and when they were there with a with a, with a family like that, <laughs> where it's definitely a problem, would you ask the child a question? Would they deny it? So in that technical situation, that situation and. Um, and, and specifically, we actually did not have time to ask the children questions because of the active safety concerns going on. Um, usually the idea was, or what we were trained to do is talk to the children alone. And if the parents did not give us permission, then we would say, okay, well, you need to stand, you can be in the room, but you have to stand like behind your child or something. So they can't see you. You know, so the parents aren't telling them what to do. And I mean, unfortunately, there are some situations where parents would refuse to do that. It was very minimal. I mean, it was only like once or twice. Um, and then, I mean, unfortunately, too, how at least Missouri works, I don't know about other ones. But, you know, if we go out to a house and we say, hey, can we speak to your children? And they say no, we have to kind of leave it. You know, it's their right to tell us. Um in some cases, there are exceptions that, you know, you can go to the school or you can go somewhere else to talk to the kids. But a lot of the cases we get are considered assessments. And on assessments, you're supposed to be getting the parents permission to speak with their children. Okay, one more question about children. What would you suggest? Uh, how would people spot someone that's being abused? And what would you suggest they do? 
I mean, I would say I always told people like when I talked to people who made reports that like, even if, you know, you, I won't say if you see something and say something, but like, you know, almost kind of that same idea that, you know, I would rather children's division workers are overworked and underpaid, but I would rather have someone report something and it turn out to be nothing or a one-time situation then you know them feel like they shouldn't be reporting something and it turn out to be something more serious so if you have like you know if there if you see something or hear something or you know a kid tells you something um and it sets off some sort of alarm system in your head i would say you know definitely call the child abuse hotline um if and I don't know how it is in every state, like in Missouri, if you're a mandated, rep- every, every hot, I keep on like trying to stop how I'm saying this. So every hotline that is made is anonymous. Like whoever the family is, they're not going to know. Sometimes they figure out, you know, but like, we can't go out there and be like, Hey, your neighbor made a hotline on you. Like we're not allowed to tell them that. Um, if you're a mandated reporter, at least in Missouri, you can't make a hotline anonymously so like the worker will know who you are but they again should not be telling the family who you are um but like so you know there is the possibility of like if you're nervous about something you can make a hotline anonymously but i mean really like if something if something you see something or like i said the kid tells you something or you hear something and it goes ding 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 like call the hotline okay i have a question about the hotline before we go on to the next subject I hear stories of crazy people that they will not like their neighbor and they will call constantly. You guys, do they keep a log? They understand, you know, they go out there once, everything's fine, twice, everything's fine. When does that stop? Um, Or does it? I've dealt with situations like that. So really, at least I can only speak for Missouri. So part of that's an issue. Part of the issue with that is, you know, if they're calling and making it anonymously, you can't really prove it's the same person over and over. You can know it's the same person, but like we can't prove it's the same person over and over because our reports come and say anonymous. There are people who don't do that and, you know, do give their names. Um, And the advice, at least in Missouri, is you can like go to law enforcement and work on getting something for harassment. If you know, because I did have cases where it was the same person calling in, you know, five, six times. Um, they left their name? I, with their name, yeah. And um, I will say, again, in Missouri, I know every state is different. There were certain things that so we had different levels. We had assessments and investigations. And investigations, you know, if we went out there and found out that this was someone calling in something that happened five years ago, and they're just calling it in again, like we could close it out as already investigated. Um, so there are kind of, you know, perfect protective factors, but I know there's things like, you know, I don't know if it's a nationwide thing or a Missouri thing, but like the good Samaritan laws that the idea is that everybody who's calling in um, should, you know, should be calling in with the best intentions and, you know, of protecting the children. I know that there are other states, I want to say Illinois, because I've had to like call, you know, when I find out about stuff in Illinois, 
I've had to call their hotline and I think there is like a fine for false reporting. So, um, you know, there are protective things, but sadly that doesn't stop people who are mad or upset about things. Well, yeah, but in that case, you're not helping the children in that case. I think you're actually hurting them. These investigators coming constantly and making it, you know, mentally unstable for them. Okay, let's get on to adults, to women in general. You move from that job to where you are currently, been there for a little bit. What are the telltale signs? And I I read them out of the list of telltale signs uh, of abuse. Uh, what do you tell people to look for? Um, I mean it's so different from you know every person's situation is different. But I, I think, and something, you know, I hear a lot from a lot of the women I work with is the isolation. They're trying to cut, you know, the abusers will cut them off from, you know, their friends, their family, um, to keep more of a sense of control. I think there's also, you know, that side, I don't know if you talked about kind of the cycle of abuse where, you know, it keeps on going and, you know, and you get that tension boiling and then something explodes and then you go back to that honeymoon phase where, you know, they're buying you. They're apologizing to you. They're telling you it'll never happen again. You know, um, I think, and then, you know, if you are a friend with someone, you know, if they're, significant other you know isn't letting them go out for girls night or boys night you know someone who's constantly kind of over their shoulder showing that lack of trust even though there's not really a lack of trust but you know that control of you know you can't go out without me you can't you know this any control of money etc yep then that too yes yeah okay because with my case my ex-wife had come by the house and i had my daughter for the weekend and she walked in threw a tv at me smacked me broke my glasses i just stood there and dumped the water over my head i just stood there and took it and then called the state troopers because i did not want to hit her well i did want to hit her but i didn't so and that was the safest bet so that it was a little bit of physical abuse with that one and yeah and, and most people don't realize it does happen to men too it does yeah it, it really does burn uh burning scratch uh strangling all kinds of good stuff that happened to both both everybody what is yeah. it one in one in four women i think i read here one in four women every 20 minutes sexual abuse or uh, physical abuse i believe it's one in six men for the, yeah. that as well um now how do you how do you spot a woman she goes to work every day how can you spot that she's being abused or a man. My work is a little different. Um, So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this question. Because I work with women after they've left. Okay. Um, So I don't. Yeah. So after they get out, uh, and a lot of them are just calling domestic violence shelters and getting out or calling their friends and getting out. Um. So I don't, you know, because I mean, and it's hard, I think, to say, how do you spot them? Because they are so, a lot of them are so good at hiding it. And they're so used to it that they don't, you know, you may not know that any of this is going on to them. 
Okay, I mean, so, I think. Go ahead. I was gonna say, I mean, there's like kind of the stereotypical physical signs, you know, makeup, covering up bruises or sunglasses or, you know, inappropriate, you know, if it's 90 degrees out and they're wearing long sleeves and a long skirt or something like that. But I mean, I think it definitely goes deeper. And like I said, it's an individual, you know, everybody kind of has their own story. So it's hard to say, you know, how do you spot them? Because there's different, it's different for everybody. Okay. So now let's go to where you are. They go to shelters and that's where you come in. But yes. isn't, isn't that dangerous for them too? Because I know some of these exes, whether male or female, could go get very violent and say, I want you back. And all kinds of stuff happens. So, they, you know, how, how does that work? And by the way, yeah. here's my internet that's unstable. I am not yours. Okay, you were cutting out again. I didn't hear yeah. what you said. It is, it is my internet that's having a problem. You know, Florida, we just had a hurricane, so. Yeah. Okay, so uh, how do they handle that? So, I mean, where I'm at now, so, like, my job is that I re rehouse, so, like, they'll be in a shelter, and then we help them find kind of independent housing uh, and we do a lot of safety planning and, you know, and again, safety planning is deeply individual because everybody's situation is different. So, you know, I have some women on my caseload who have kids and, you know, they have to like split custody. And so kind of, you know, the safety planning of, you know, if we don't want them showing up at the house, can you meet at Walgreens? We don't want, you know, can, you know, your kid who's old enough to drive, can they drive the kids to dad's house? Can they? Um, and then just like safety planning for like things like going to court and just, you know, even that just emotional safety planning is, you know, going into court and seeing your abuser can be very, very emotional as you kind of talked about. Um, so just, you know, making sure that they're taking care of themselves. Um, we talked about, we talked about things like, you know, oh, does he know where you work? Well, you know. If he's at your workplace, make sure to take a different path home. Um, getting car covers, you know, like those things you can put over your car. So like when you're parked outside your house, you know, they won't see your car, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of other things, you know, like okay, I have one. The, the reason I ask, I, I watch a lot of ID channel. Oh, yeah. And I, I hear even stories where the ex-boyfriend or boyfriend, even with people go into work, they go into work, take them out the back door and kill them. Or they would go to uh, shelters and try to break in and things like that. Sometimes they succeed or they, they constantly watch and the, the person really, once they're alone, they're in deep trouble. Yeah. And, you know, and we, we try our hardest to plan for that stuff, but, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, I mean, I've never had to experience you know, something happening in any of my women, but like, you know, domestic violence is tricky. And, you know, and like you said, sometimes the kind of that honeymoon phase where like a woman will leave and then they come and, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, you know, they get back together or, you know, um, but I never yeah. That. See, let me interrupt you because I never understood that because when I was younger in my teens and I would try to date a woman whose boyfriend was beating her and stuff. Oh, yeah, I don't want to go back to him. She'd cry in my arms. The night would be nice. The next day, she's back with him. Huh? What is wrong with you? Then you go back the next night and tell me he beat me again. You know, 
Mm-hmm. I could never understand why they didn't leave. Never. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many. Position. There's so many different reasons. And like, one thing that, you know, I think is important also to realize is that and it was something that I didn't even really know until I had started this job is that one of the most dangerous parts for women or times for women, women or men, um, anybody in these situations is leaving. There is a higher risk for homicide when your partner finds out that you're trying to leave. Um, and I think that sometimes that's just a lot of it is, you know, that fear of what would happen if you truly leave them. And so I think, you know, if anybody's listening, who's wanting to help someone or is in that situation, just knowing that, you know, sometimes you kind of have to do those checks and balances and figure out when's the best time to leave and when's the safest time to leave and like getting that, you know, that safety plan, those go bags and everything ready. Um, because, you know, there is a higher risk to safety when planning to leave. Is it harder with children involved? I mean, I definitely think it is it, for multiple reasons. Um, I mean, like I said, I have women on my caseload right now who it's, you know, a custody thing of there's that safety there. And usually we kind of do figure out a plan, you know, can someone else drive them to dad's? Can, you know, can you meet dad at McDonald's, whatever, stuff like that. But then, you know, I know even kind of in my work with children's division, there was a lot of, you know, when families broke up, that emotional strain of like, you know, one parent using the kid to kind of like. As a weapon. Yeah, as a weapon. And then, you know, and, and then overall, that's just not good for the child, you know, um, psychologically, emotionally to be put in that position. So it's definitely harder. I told everybody, and I had it from statistics, that most women that are abused are between 18 and 23. Is that about right? I, I so I don't know, actually. <laughs> I can say in my experience, my caseload is older. I mean, like, I think probably the youngest I have is like early 20s. But I mean, I have women in their 60s. And, you know, and really, I do think I do think that probably is a correct statistic, because there is a lot more you see it a lot more in kind of like college age kids. That's the first time they're out of the house the first time they're, they're getting to make decisions on their own. So I would say, I believe that probably is a true statistic, but it's something, you know, I think we need to remember, it's not just that age group. It can happen at any, any oh, age. Oh, yes. Uh, they just said that was the most they have reported. But I, I have a question. You just said in the 60s, I would think in the 60s, they'd be smart enough to get out. I know probably that might be financially hooked, but they can't, but there are resources available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, now they are out with these resources, but yeah. I can't picture anybody being in an abusive relationship that old. I know they abuse adults. I know, you know, nursing homes, things like that, but not, 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 not a partnership. That's kind of strange. Well, where yeah. would they go to get help? What, what do they call? Who do they what do they do? Do they notify family? Now, family's strange because if you have somebody that's being abused, one of the things they do is they keep them from going somewhere and they kind of keep them isolated. Don't, don't talk to their family, their friends. 
even when the family does finally get in to talk to him, the woman was, oh, everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. Yet you know there's a difference. You know the behavior changed. What can family do? Um, I mean, I think family can, you never want to pressure anybody into doing things because a lot of times, you know, like when you hear as a family member, something is happening to your family member, they're being abused, you know, your, your jump is going to be okay. Let's get you out of there. But like we just talked about that leaving period is extremely dangerous. And so I think, you know, something you can work on them with them instead of, you know, let's get you out of there is like, let's make a plan to get you out of there. Um, and then working to maybe, you know, Google your local local resources, you know, mo most places, even pretty rural places have some sort of domestic violence. Again, or, again, though, that those are all good ideas. But I, I would imagine if I was in that position, I would be afraid to because, yeah. hey, you search your history, do this, do that, you know, all kinds of ways to find out. And well, if, that's if you're in that kind of relationship, they're not going to let you do that. Well, that's why I was saying the family members, you were asking family members what they, what family members can do. So I was saying, you know, a family member can Google that type of stuff and, you know, and pass it along. Um, kind of what to do outside of getting help outside of the family member. There's always RAIN is a national network. Um, I don't know if you have that number on your list. Yeah, I'm, I'm I got like four pages. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, rain is a good one. And like, I mean, so my job, we have a crisis hotline and if people call and they say, Hey, I'm in the St. Louis area rain will usually connect them to us. Um, so if you call rain rain, usually knows, you know, if you can tell them where you are, they'll usually send you to someone that, you know, a domestic violence shelter or a domestic violence organization, um, I mean, another place, and this one is tricky because sometimes, you know, people in abusive relationships don't get to do this alone, but like doctor's offices, you know, they're supposed to be assessing every time you go to the doctor, you know, do you feel safe at home? And, you know, if you're doing those appointments alone, you know, you can talk to them. I mean, I have dealt with women who are, you know, sitting in their doctor's office, um, calling our hotline and saying, you know, I need some place to go and stuff like that. I have a hotline number here, and I didn't know the National Dating Abuse Helpline. What 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 kind of stuff happens? There? I mean, is that just people dating with abusive relationships? It's basically the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think it would be. I mean, that's the same thing. Even if you're married, you're still dating in a way. So, I would say. Is that the NCA National Center for? Oh, it says loveisrespect.org. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm I familiar. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. And I, I believe they are open to, you know, married, single, on three dates, on 400 dates. You know, if you were expect, if you were experiencing any sort of relationship violence, you can definitely give that number a call. Okay, well. Katie, I want to thank you. And I want uh, everybody to remember when I'm done talking to Katie, I will list all the stuff I have here. Some of it's uh, African-American, lesbian, Asia Pacific, National Sexual Assault Hotline. I think that's what rain. I think all of that is very important. And I hope you spread the word and people get to see this because I think this is an important podcast. Probably one of my better ones, the most important ones.
Uh, you're very informative, and I appreciate that. But get your friends to subscribe so we can. If they have any stories they want to tell me, I'll gladly put them on. Okay. It's, you know, like you said, you couldn't answer certain questions. You have people that can. I'll gladly talk to them. Yeah. I think information like that is very, very important. Yeah. Again, Katie, thank you very much. Uh, make sure you watch this video and the whole thing because you're going to enjoy it. Okay. Stay well. Yes, you too. Hopefully you don't get more hurricanes. Uh, you know, actually, I'm going on a cruise in a week, and they're talking about something coming through the Gulf of Mexico. It's kind of scaring me. So oh, no. We shall see. Knock on wood that you'll be fine. And I'm working at the Bowen Alley, so, you know, who cares? All right, Katie. Thank you very much. Yes, Have a good one. You too. Putting in progress. What do you mean? Oh, pause. I thought I pause. Okay, everyone. That was Katie Smith. I do have this list here, and I want you to all listen very carefully. National Crisis Organizations and Assistance. For those of you, it's a long list, but somewhere in there you may be wanting a phone number. The National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1 800. 799-7233. National Dating Abuse Helpline, 1-866-331-9475. National Child Abuse Hotline, Child Help, 1-800-422-4453. National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-4673. That's the RAIN organization that Katie just spoke about. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 1-800-273-8522. National Center for Victims of Crime. 1-202-467-467. 8700. And if you know anybody into human trafficking, it's 1 888 373 7888. And a coalition for homeless, 1 Now, I gave you the number of the National Domestic Violence, I'll give it to you again. 1-800-537-2238. And there's one here to say, we see what else, National Domestic Violence, Trauma and Mental Health, 1-312-726-7020, extension 2011. And a National Runaway Safe Line, 1-800-786-2938. Now, child, U.S. National Child Abuse Hotline, 1-800-422-4453. Child Defense Fund, 202-628-8787. All right, let's see what else we got. National Council, no, we don't want that. It's in a All right, for teens, love is respect, one 866 331-9474. Break the cycle. 
Again, for teens, 202-824-0707. College campus of the Domestic Violence Initiative. Deaf Abuse Women Network. 202-559-5366. Women of Color. 1-800-537-2238. Latinos, 1-651-772-1611. All right, change the page. Asia Pacific Islander, 1-415-954-9988. Again, Committee Against Asian Violence, 1-212-473-6485. Yeah. All right. Lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgendered. One, one, seven, eight, five, nine, six, oh, three, four, two. National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. One, two, oh, two, three, nine, three, five, one, seven, seven. Trans Lifeline. 877-565-8860. National Center for Elderly Abuse. 1-855-500-3537. I don't think that might be it. Let me check. Yep, another page. National Organization for men against sexism. 1-720-433-3882. Men stopping violence. 1-866-717-9317. I have some legal numbers here, but I think a counselor would help you with that. Okay, that's really all I have to say. Just remember what I said. Love. Should not hurt. Oops. Make sure I can read that. Help right now. One help. Out. That's it. How to get involved. 24 hour hotline is for 800 799 7322. Okay. And just remember, as I said, love should not hurt. And with that, I hope this helps someone. Thank you, and please share this.